Well, good morning, church. If you would please turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church. Before we dive into our sermon today, I want to share uh, just a, some news with you. Um, some of you may know that uh, more than 45 years ago, this church was founded uh, by Charles and Vicki Lake. And some of you have, have been here for a long time and uh, would know Charles and Vicki personally. Um, and so you may also know that Vicki has, has been battling uh, some health struggles for, for a while now. And Friday evening, uh, Vicki's battle with those health struggles ended and she passed away. So like I said, many of you know Vicki, you know Charles, and you've been blessed directly uh, by Vicki. For some of us, though, here as we come in today, we've never uh, had the opportunity to, to meet Charles and Vicki. But there's an old saying that says, we sit in the shade today because someone planted a tree a generation ago. So even if you would say, I don't know that name, or I, I've only heard that name, I don't know that person, we benefit today from the legacy of faith of Vicki Lake. And so this morning, I want to just start our time by praying for that family and, uh, and lifting them up. So let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the ways in which you bless us. And God, you use people to show us who you are and to show your goodness to us. And so God, we thank you for the legacy of faith of Vicki Lake. God, we thank you for her ministry and for her life. God, we pray for the Lake family today as they mourn, as they celebrate, as they have an emotional week ahead of them. Pray that your presence would be with them, that you would comfort them and bind up their broken hearts. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're in Genesis chapter 41 today, and we are in this sermon series called Faith in Dysfunction. Faith and dysfunction. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably have some dysfunction in your life. Maybe you would say that's putting it mildly. But I'm I'm confident saying you probably have some dysfunction in your life because I have some dysfunction in my life. Dysfunction is all around us. It's all around us. And so instead of trying to figure out how do I create a bubble where I never experience dysfunction, Instead of trying to run away from everything that's messy in life, I think what we are meant to do is to ground ourselves in the truth of Scripture, to know who God is and to know who we are in light of that, and to have a strong faith in the face of dysfunction. Now, chapter 41 of Genesis is a very long chapter. It's very long. And I'm tempted this morning to simply summarize it for you and tell you what's in the Bible, But I think it's really important that we read the Bible together. I think it's important that you read it for yourself and hear it read. So, get comfortable. We're going to read all of Genesis 41 together this morning, okay? Genesis is the first book in your Bible, so it would be at the very beginning. Go ahead and find Genesis 41. We've been in this series now. This is the third week. The story of Joseph and his brothers and his family really spans um, a huge portion of Genesis, Genesis 37 all the way to the end, Genesis 50. So let me give us just a quick, uh, let's get us caught up here in case you haven't been here the last couple of weeks of what's going on in this story of Joseph. Joseph is the youngest son of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. 
Okay, Joseph has older brothers who are jealous of how much their dad loves Joseph, and so they kidnap him and they sell him into slavery. Slavery takes Joseph into Egypt. While he's a slave, he's able to work his way up, and he's put in charge of a household of a, of a powerful Egyptian man. His name is Potiphar, and Joseph is put in charge of his household and, and really probably his business dealings as well. Over time, Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph and invites Joseph to sleep with her multiple times. Joseph does the right thing every time and says, no, no, no. Eventually, his wife gets so upset that she accuses Joseph of trying to assault her. Joseph is falsely accused. He's falsely imprisoned. And while he's in prison in Egypt, a number of things happen to him. One of the things that happens to him, though, is that he meets two other people in prison who were servants of Pharaoh. They've been imprisoned. And he, uh, these two guys eventually get out of prison. And Joseph is pleading with the one who's going to live when he gets out of prison. He's pleading with the one, remember me, remember me. When you go back to Pharaoh, remember me. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in Egypt, let alone in prison. Remember me. And chapter 40 ends telling us that that man forgot Joseph. So, chapter 41. Let's begin in verse 1. When two full years had passed... Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. And then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, "'Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings.' Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, but no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, 
The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. And then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance." They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! And thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he, kept, he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Beyond the years, or before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Let's pray. God, we come together this morning as a church community And we come in in varying states of trust and of knowledge of you. But God, you know what each of us needs today. So I pray that you would be near to us, strengthen our faith, encourage our hearts, 
God, open our eyes to see your goodness and your hope in the middle of our dysfunction. Amen. The Joseph story, if you step back and look at the entire story, the Joseph story is a story of faithfulness. Faithfulness on God's part to keep his promises, to do what he said he would do, and faithfulness on Joseph's part to be submitted and to be committed to God no matter his circumstances. And if if we zoom in on this portion of the Joseph story today, we see that God is working in Joseph's life to move him forward. From, a, from imprisonment to a position of authority. And that's our theme this morning, moving forward. Faith on the way forward. Just like Joseph coming out of prison, God wants to move you forward. Whatever your dysfunction is, it could be relationship stress, it could be financial hardship, it could be uh, job stress, It could be depression and anxiety. It could be a a darkness or a confusion even in your own walk with God. Whatever your dysfunction is, God wants to help you move forward. Maybe not up in the the traditional sense of, you know, you're going to get that promotion and all your relationships are going to be perfect, but forward. We're going to see that in this part of Joseph's story today. The story of Joseph has so much to teach us. It has so much to teach us. On the one hand, there's a very simple instruction available to us that God will keep his promises, that God is faithful, and he can bless you and he can help you move forward from wherever you are stuck today. And that's true, and I don't want to minimize that because some of you are in a really rough spot in life right now. Some of you log on this morning to join us for worship. Some of you join us together in this room today and you are barely holding it together. You are barely holding it together. And I want you to see that there is hope in the story of Joseph. I want you to feel that your faith story might not be fully written yet. I want you to see in the story of Joseph that your family's faith story can be redeemed. And so while that truth is present all throughout the Joseph story, all throughout our text today, there's so much more going on underneath the surface. And so to help us see what God is up to in Genesis chapter 41, I want to ask us two questions this morning. Two questions. One of them I will answer for you, but the second one you're going to have to answer for yourself. The first question today is this. How can the story of Joseph's blessing encourage our own faith? How can the story of Joseph's blessing encourage our own faith? Now, I would answer this question five different ways. So if you are a note taker, If you're an outline person, man, today is your day. (laughs) This is going to be like gold for you. How can Joseph's, the story of Joseph's blessing encourage our own faith? Number one, we can be encouraged by knowing that God is present and he is working in the mess. God is present and he's working in the mess. While Joseph was in prison, God did not leave him alone. God didn't leave him alone in there. God was working. He was working to give Pharaoh dreams that only Joseph could interpret. God was working to connect him with this cupbearer, this cupbearer, this like servant of Pharaoh that just so happened to be in prison at the same time. A messy situation, and Joseph's situation was undeniably messy. A messy situation does not equal the absence of God. Let me say that again. A messy situation in your life does not equal the absence 
of God. Just because things are messy or tragic or complicated or just downright hard does not mean that God is not there with you and working. How can Joseph's story of blessing be an encouragement to our own faith? Number two, we can be encouraged by knowing that having a messy past does not disqualify you from being loved and used by God. Having a messy past does not disqualify you. Think about Joseph for a moment in this situation. Joseph's record, at least in the eyes of Pharaoh, at least in the eyes of the government, Joseph's record is not clean. Number one, he's a Hebrew. He's an outsider. He's a foreigner. Number two, he's a former slave. But number three, let's remember why Joseph is in prison in the first place. We have the benefit of knowing the whole story. We have the benefit of knowing what happened and that Joseph was falsely imprisoned. Pharaoh would not have known that or probably cared. Joseph, in the eyes of the government, was imprisoned allegedly for rape. And yet Pharaoh calls him up out of the dungeon, gets one interpretation of his dreams, and says, that's the person I want to be in charge of all of Egypt. That's the person I want to oversee how we're going to get through this coming famine. Only God could make that situation turn out like that. Only God can do that. Joseph's past did not disqualify him from being blessed by God. His backstory did not handcuff him. His backstory did not handcuff God from using him. So you may think that your backstory is going to be a problem with God. I can remember years ago having lunch with a man. He's telling me how he had messed up his life. And I won't share the details, but let me tell you, he had messed up his life with the choices he had made. And as we're having lunch, he tells me, I know that I'm loved by God. I know that I'm forgiven by God. I just don't think God's going to ever give me anything good again because of what I've done. And my heart broke for this man because that's such an incomplete view of who God is. Having a messy past is not a problem for God. God knows what to do with where you've come from. You are not damaged goods. You are not destined to sit on the sideline while someone who looks a little more perfect or a little more holy gets to live in God's blessing. No, God knows what to do with your messy past. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can move forward if you will trust and you will believe in who God is. Number three, we can be encouraged by knowing that the power of God available to us by faith is strong. Joseph dis uh, displays this incredible power all throughout the story. Joseph uh, displays this power to, to believe, to resist, to wait, and to forgive. He believes in the, in the vision that God has given him at, at the very beginning of his story through dreams. He believes that that's going to come true, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to. Joseph has the power to, to resist, first to resist the temptation of, of Potiphar's wife, and, and later in what Jason's going to cover next week, to resist the temptation to get revenge on his brothers. He's able to resist. He's able to wait for years and years and years. He waits as a slave and then in prison. He's able to wait and to trust. And ultimately, he's able to forgive. At the end of the story, he's able to forgive his brothers. Have you ever 
wanted the power to believe, to resist something, to be able to wait, to do the hard work of forgiveness. That is power that is available to us by faith. Be encouraged this morning. That power was given to Joseph, and the same power that raised Joseph up out of the pit, the same power that raised Joseph up out of prison, the same power that raised Jesus Christ out of the grave is available to you. God knows what you need to move forward, and he can and he will give it to you. There is power available to us by faith. How can Joseph's story be a blessing to us? How can it encourage our own faith? We can be encouraged, number four, by knowing that God can always give you a path forward, though it may not be what you expect. God can always give you a path forward, though it may not be what you expect. I was listening to a good friend of mine teach on this, on this chapter, and uh, he had a great line that I, I tried to improve on, and I can't, so I'm just going to steal it. He said this. He said, don't ever think that you can predict what God is going to do next. Don't ever think that you can predict what God's going to do next. If I told you the beginning, you could predict the end, but you could never predict the journey in the middle. If I told you the beginning of the story, a young man gets dreams from God, and in these dreams, he sees that his brothers, his family, and eventually the whole world is going to bow down and serve him. That's the beginning of the story. If I told you that, you could probably predict what happens at the end. This young man grows up, and eventually his brothers, his family, and the whole world, in some respect, bows down and serves him. You could predict the end, but you would never in a million years be able to predict what happened in the middle. And so I think it's healthy, I think it's wise when you find yourself in a place in life where you did not expect to be, to stop for a moment and to realize that you might not be at the end of your story just yet. You might be Joseph being dragged into Egypt in slavery. You might be Joseph caught in a moment with someone else where there are no good options available to you. You might be Joseph pleading with a friend to remember your cause. You might be Joseph with one chance to shave your head and change your clothes and stand in front of Pharaoh and have your life transformed. I don't know where your journey has taken you. I don't know where your journey is taking you. But I do know that there will be steps along the way that don't seem to make sense. God will give you a path forward. Sometimes you're going to have steps along the way that don't seem like they're leading in the right direction, but be encouraged because by faith, you can walk with God in each one of those moments. God has an ending in store for you. He is leading you forward. Just don't ever think you can predict what step God is going to have you take next. So how can Joseph's story of blessing be an encouragement to our own faith? Number five, when you're moving forward in some way, that's not a blessing that is just for you. When you're moving forward in some way, when you're being blessed by God, when you receive mercy, when you receive kindness, when you experience joy, when you realize that you have privilege and you have abundance, When you are blessed by God, you are not given that blessing just so that it would stay with you. You're given that blessing so you would extend it to someone else. When Joseph is brought into Egypt in slavery and he's put in charge of Potiphar's house, in chapter 39, what Dean preached on last week, the Bible says that when Joseph was put into that position, Potiphar's household was blessed, his business dealings were blessed. 
It's like it just couldn't help but leak out of Joseph. In our text today, when Joseph is put in charge of Egypt, what happens? Pharaoh is blessed. The land of Egypt is saved. All the world comes to Joseph, comes to Egypt to be saved by being able to get food. It's almost as if the goodness of God, when it gets poured out on someone, just can't be contained in that one person. It has to be shared out. It has to be extended. Has God redeemed you? Has God brought you from a darkness to light? You need to share that story because that story is actually meant to bless somebody else. Have you been given abilities and skills by God? You're not meant to just keep those and use them for your own gain. Do you find yourself in a position of influence, maybe at work or or in your community? Do you have influence over your friends and your neighbors? You've been put into that position of influence for a purpose. And it's to bless others and to lift up those who need lifting. Do you have a home to share? Do you have money to be generous with? Do you have possessions that could be used by others? You've been given those to share them, to share them. That's the beauty of Christian community. That's the beauty of of being in Christian community is that you have value, you have something of value to offer to others, and you can be blessed by the value of other people with actual hope, actual truth, actual community. And it's not just meant for those who are already following Jesus. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God is initially calling Abraham, he's telling Abraham, this is what I'm going to do through you. I'm going to give you a family and a nation and a people. God says, I'm going to bless you and all peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So don't hide your story. Don't keep your skills and your abilities to yourself. Don't waste your influence. Don't be stingy with your stuff. You were given those things so that they would overflow out of you and into the community around you. And by the power of Jesus, eventually redeem the whole world. Let us not be consumed with selfishness and thereby be resistant to what God is trying to do through us. So I said I had two questions this morning. The second question is one you'll need to answer for yourself. And that question is this. What will your faith be like when God answers your prayers? What will your faith be like if God answers all your prayers today in the way that you want him to answer them? Here's what I mean by this. I have two people in my life that are very, they're very dear to me. They're very close. These two people I love very much, and they, they don't follow Jesus at all. They're not necessarily antagonistic towards faith. They would just say they don't have any use for anything related to God. And for years, I have prayed for these people, for years. I prayed that God would, would reveal himself to them, that they would, they would come to know who Jesus is. So much so that you know, every morning I pray for them, and I don't even say what I'm praying for anymore. I just simply say their first names because God knows what I mean. God and I have had a lot of meetings about these people. (laughs) He knows what I'm asking. But if they called me up this afternoon and they said, you know what, Brad, we believe who Jesus says he is and we want to follow him with our whole lives. If God answered my prayer today for them, would I be on my knees tomorrow morning? If I was blessed in all the ways that I want God to bless me, if our church was blessed in all the ways that we want our church to be blessed, would we be clinging so tightly to our faith 
And I don't pose this question to uh, make you feel guilty. I don't pose this question to confuse you and make you think, well, maybe it would be better to be a little more in the pit of dysfunction. I ask this question because it actually makes us examine our hearts and ask another question. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to me? Is Jesus my Lord or is he just my Savior? Because he desires to be both. But let's be honest, it's a little more convenient for us to simply rely on Jesus as my Savior, to depend on him when things are tough, and to forget him when things are not. If we look at the example of Joseph, Joseph displayed incredible faithfulness all throughout his story. Incredible faithfulness. When he stood before Pharaoh and Pharaoh asked him, can you interpret my dreams? He could have claimed that moment for himself. He could have said, oh my goodness, I'm finally moving up, moving forward. I could have claimed, he could have claimed this moment for himself. But no, what did he say? Pharaoh said, can you interpret my dreams? And Joseph said, I cannot do it. But God can. Incredible faithfulness from Joseph. Later on in the story, when, when things are going well, when there's the seven years of abundance and there's blessing and everything's going well and everything's going great, at that point, Joseph could have forgotten the God who pulled him out of prison, but he did not. I think it's really interesting that the writer of Genesis makes a point to tell us that Joseph had two sons and here were their names and here's what they meant. From a narrative perspective, we don't really need that information. It doesn't really like move the f- story forward at all. But I think we're actually meant to stop and to slow down and to notice something. In Joseph's moment of abundance and blessing, he stays submitted to God. He names his first son Manasseh to testify, my rocky past is in the past. And that does not define who I am anymore. He names his second son Ephraim to make sure that everyone knows it's God that brought me here. It's God who is doing this. Joseph was submitted to, Jesus, to, to God, to his Lord, on the mountaintop, just as he was in the valley. See, if Jesus is just our Savior, if we, if we treat Jesus just as our Savior, we kind of treat him like a, a lawyer or a therapist. And I don't mean any offense to either group. We, we treat Jesus kind of like a lawyer or a therapist. Like, yeah, I know who to call when things get tough, but we don't really, like, hang out. But Jesus desires to not only be our Savior, but to be our Lord. To be our Lord, for us to submit to him. But we don't like to submit. Nobody does. <laughs> we don't like to give up things that we have rights to, but that's the call of Jesus. Come and die is Jesus' marketing pitch to us. Come and die. Pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus desires to not only be our Savior, but our Lord as well. For us to be fully submitted, to walk closely with him at all times. Not just when we're down in the pit and we need saving, but also in moments of abundance and moments of blessing. Wherever you are on your journey, the Joseph story can be an encouragement to you. Because faith, when things are going well, is just as important as faith when things are not. If we will submit to Jesus as our Lord, as the one who's ruling over us, as the one who has love and mercy and compassion for each one of us, then we will simply find ourselves moving forward in unexpected ways. Moving forward not by our own strength, not by our own ingenuity, but by the power 
of the Holy Spirit living and active in each one of us. Let's pray. God, strengthen us this morning. God, give us comfort where we need comfort. God, give us challenge where we need challenge. God, encourage us by the story of Joseph. And God, help us to move forward and to be trusting you along the way, whether we're in the pit or we're on the mountaintop. God, we want to praise you and worship you the same way. Amen.